So let's read this together. Uh, Judges 21, 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. All right, we're in a series now on the book of James. And I hope that this will be very practical and challenging to all of us. I know it's challenging to me. Um, if you ever want to learn more, be the one who teaches it. It happens every time. So it just makes that more applicable. James, uh, we talked about part, the first part of verse 1 last time. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive any from, from anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a flower. For the sun rises without scorch, with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even uh, while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of light that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, does everyone have a lesson sheet today? Anyone need one that did, or did not get one? I think everything was taken care of, so that's great. All right. What is persecution, and how did or does it reveal itself? Okay. Persecution is defined as hostility and mistreatment. Because of one's race, or religious, or political views. James is writing this to the 12 tribes that were scattered. Okay? Acts 8.1. Someone read that for me. Saul approved of their killing them. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay. Who, who did Saul approve the killing of? Stephen, okay, and Stephen has him killed, uh, or Paul has Stephen killed, stoned to death, and great persecution broke out, Acts eleven nineteen. who will read that? Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Okay, so now... They, they, because of the persecution, I mean, literally, imagine if you would, okay, let's just say, God forbid, okay, one of our, our leaders in this church, police come in, authorities of some type come in, people, a mob come in, and literally execute one of our pastors. And the, and the idea becomes, we will continue this to all who name the name of Christ. How's that going to make you feel? 
Will we gather together publicly with that type of persecution? What ends up happening at this point is they began to scatter. Think of it as persecution now taking place from the government towards the church that was established. Imagine that taking place in your community, in our nation. What would happen to, our, to Christians? How would we respond? How would we feel? Now, I know depending on the state you live in, uh, some of them may take up arms. <laughs> and I'm not going to go there with this, this class. Okay. So James is writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered. What type of persecution did they face? You, many of you know the history of this. What persecution did they face? Like, the, like you read about the Apostle Book of Martyrs kind of persecution? Yeah. Beheadings, boilings, burnings on the cross. Remember Nero? I mean, he lit the way to the city, Rome, with Christians impaled on stakes, burned alive. Okay? Persecution was taking place. Now, ask yourself the question... What persecution is taking place with our brothers and sisters around the world today? Beheadings. Imprisonment. imprisonment Execution-style murders. What's that? Torture. Absolutely. Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted around the world today. And unfortunately, at times, we can... We can forget that because it's not happening in Lynchburg, Virginia, per se, right? Or in America like that, okay? The question then is, what would the result be if it occurred on a wider scale in the United States? Are we even thinking that? Because we're used to a political system of freedom. But what if that changed? What if we went the way of other cultures? Yeah, um, Sandy. I think, I think for the Christians who are really probably go underground somewhat, just as, in a way, we've done with this virus, COVID, you know, there's been so much more out of the church and in the home. Yeah. You know, type thing, and that's what we have to do. Yeah, it would be what, like our brothers and sisters have had to done for decades, centuries around the world. So James is writing this to encourage the persecuted church. James 1, 2-7 has been read. I just read it, but he says, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters. So he's writing this letter to people. Think of it this way. Imagine um, I, I was in Colombia, South America in January, and I'm talking and speaking with Venezuelan refugees who left because of their political dictator, many of whom who were Christians, who walked for days, days. Some, one that's walked a month and a half to get to where he was, a month and a half. I, as driving down the road, I'm seeing these refugees walk alongside the road. We know they're going to the next level. They're going up to a place that's gonna be several thousand feet high. It's gonna be 30, 
some degrees at night. They're going to try, try to get there as fast as they can to get some warmth, get some blankets, etc., to continue on their journey to somewhere else in Colombia or to Peru or some other country. And I'm, I'm watching a man alone on crutches with one leg walking for days. Think about that. What would we do? And, and here now, these are persecuted Jewish people who have become followers of Christ. And now, see, James is writing to the Jewish people. Paul was going after the Gentiles. So it's not like they're being exclusive here. So he's writing this letter to this persecuted church. And he's telling them, now think about this. You've walked, they have walked or gotten away, they're going into a place that they have never been before, visiting people, getting whatever they can, eating whatever they can. It's not like they're going to bring, you know, uh, everything that they would need with them. They're escaping. Think of all the things that you have in your home and that immediately you would leave. All the valuable things that you would think is really important because you can't carry that for days and weeks. And most likely your home would become the property of the state because you've abandoned it and someone else would take over your home and they begin living in it. Thank you very much. And now he's writing this letter to them and he says this, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. At this point, what he's trying to do is he says, okay, the bottom line is this. Your life does not consist of what you own. Real life consists in your heart and where it's at with the Lord. Where is your attitude, etc.? Can trials cause discouragement? Think about your own life. If, why is one's attitude so significant? How have you responded in trials in the past? And I'm not talking about necessarily a water heater going out. That, that, that's a big deal. Okay? But have you ever been under what you would call considerable trials, challenges? And how do we respond to those things? Things that... Emotionally, mentally, we're concerned about it. Now let's take it out of the issue of normal life trials that we would consider. Financial burdens, health concerns. Um, those are real meaningful things. Financial issues that can affect us on many levels. But what about trials or testings on a spiritual level? On a level that says, you are being persecuted because of what you believe. Have you ever lost a job because you were a Christian? Some have. Have you ever not been promoted because they know who you are and what you stand for? There are, there are things in life in which we feel this trial and persecution comes on. Someone read for me John 15, 18 to 20. 
If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Now think about this. I think the challenging thing, God forbid that this happens here. But imagine growing up as a follower of Christ in Iraq. Iran. Syria. Jordan. Libya. Countries around the world that are opposed to Christian values and belief systems. Will we be shocked if someone doesn't believe what we believe and hates what you believe? This is the this is the reality that we have to begin thinking about because we have we've accepted an idea. And Pastor Charles was right on the money today. You know, there's this idea that's coming that's permeating our culture. And it's not friendly to Christianity. Christians can choose joy, though, during trials and the testings of the faith. See, regardless of our experiences, no one can affect our attitude. Okay? Now, you could say, the devil made me do it. <laughs> my wife drives me. My husband drives me. Crazy. My kids drive me, you know, my parents drive me, whatever. We can say those things, but no one controls your attitude but you and me. We can say what we have, that, well, this, this is how I feel. Well, yeah, you have the right to feel that way, but that doesn't mean anyone makes you feel that way. We choose it. We choose how we feel. Though we're influenced by a lot of different things. The idea is, though, is can we be... Can we have our emotions based on truth and not falsehood? Know that it's a trial and not just a coincidence. Okay, first of all, we recognize that it's a real trial. The trials have a spiritual purpose. The testing of your faith produces perseverance or, in other words, it's maybe even more closer endurance. The idea is you're going to make it through this. Okay, you're going to get through this. You're going to make it through this. And that's the, that's the idea here. The testing of your faith produces this perseverance. I'm able to continue on doing life. I can endure this. Okay? The word know here, gnosko, means knowledge through personal experience. Okay? So in other words, it's not just a head knowledge. Some of you are going through things in your life, whether it's physical, spiritual, Emotional, physical, financial, etc., that are real. Okay? Now, this may not be the trial that James is talking about here, but it's real to you. And here's the thing before this, you can have a head knowledge experience about it, but when you're going through it personally, it's at a completely different level. This is what he's talking to them about. He's talking to these displaced Jews now who aren't just, we're, most of us in here, most of us, not all. But most of us in here experience persecution like this, but from a head knowledge only, right? 
Oh, I, I, I've read about it in the voice of the martyrs. I've read about it in a magazine. I read about it in a book. I read about it in a blog. I read about it on the internet. I'm reading something about this persecution that's taking place. That's not gnosko. Gnosko is, I've been there. I've experienced this. I know what it's like. See, Mark 13, 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now, why would I add something like that? Just about the fig tree. He's, he's using a, Jesus is using a practical example, right? So he's saying, learn the lesson of the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, its leaves come out. You know that summer's near. Remember going through winter? And all of a sudden, what's the first flower that comes up? Crocus. You see them come up out of the ground. And then the woods may be completely bare. And all of a sudden, one day, you start to see buds. And they, they're green. And you're going, and you know, and you see the redbud tree come out. And all of these things, you go, summer's near. You get that? You, why do you know that? See the signs. You've seen the signs. You know everything about it. You've experienced it before. You know what's coming. It's the same thing with this. When you go through it yourself, only you can really understand that kind of knowledge. Everything else, everything, they can maybe be uh, you know, sympathetic, but they can't be empathetic. Because they've never been through it. And it's hard. But he's writing to these people who are now going through this experience. And they're wanting to make sure, what does this look like? So we can choose joy during trials by turning your focus from self to an eternal purpose. That's hard. So what he's telling them is, you, you, you are displaced, you are away from here, you can choose joy, but you've got to turn the focus off of yourself. Because as long as you're focusing on you, you will naturally be depressed. You will naturally be frustrated. If this isn't fair, why me? And there's all kinds of realities that come with this experience. You're going to experience this. It's like, why am I going through this? Why do I have to deal with this? But what he's doing, you can, you've got to turn it away from focus of yourself. So he says, it produces endurance, perseverance. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to consider joy. I'm going to get through this experience. And I can... And I think this is important. Context is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Context is everything. We use this passage so often for so many different things. But in context, pray and ask God for wisdom. So now, you're the persecuted church in Antioch. You're, you're no longer at home. You're trying to figure out what to do. You are, you're frustrated. You're trying to get things done. He's, you're, what, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn from this? I can't go home. I have lost everything. I, I, my family is displaced. Children, were, some were killed. It's amazing all the things that atrocities took place. And all of a sudden, now he says, if you, and if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. They'll be given to you. So what he's saying here is this. 
you're going through this trial, you're going through this persecution, and you're trying to figure out how to make sense of it all. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And he'll give it to you. He'll help you to understand in this circumstance, what does it mean? And some of you, when you've gone through persecutions and trials, you don't necessarily have to be persecuted this way, I, though I think that day is coming. I think that day is coming for us here in the U.S., but I pray it doesn't. But when we've gone through trials, you have to ask yourself the question, have I turned it to joy? And how have I used it for an eternal purpose? Because if I only focus on myself, I'm going to be miserable and unhappy. And nothing of eternal significance will occur. So then what do I do with what I've experienced to turn it into something positive from an eternal perspective? I lack wisdom. God, I don't know what to do with this. How can I use it? He'll give it to you. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed how God will use your circumstance to help somebody else. Because remember, isn't that what the scripture tells us? That we've gone through things so that we can help others. That's the purpose of it. That when you go through things, you can then be the teacher. You can be the encourager. Have you ever been to the bedside of someone who was dying and you expected everything to be solemn and sad? I have. And you walk out being more encouraged just because of their attitude and perspective. It's like, are you kidding me? I walked in there into a negative situation in which they're dying, and now I'm leaving more excited about the Lord and about life just because of being around them. God can use the worst circumstances to turn it for something good. But when you ask, he says, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. In other words, if you're wanting God to do something, don't fall back into a pity party. It's not about a pity party. It's about turning around for an eternal purpose. And in that moment, God says, if you, do you believe me? Do you believe that I'm in control? The hardest thing when you're going through a challenging time is to believe that God's in control because we ask ourselves, and if he is, why would he allow this in my life? Right? Now, hear me. Hear me. Everyone. Don't take this as a judgment from James or Lou. It's not. What it is, is, is God trying to communicate something that says, would you consider it? Consider it pure joy when you go through these things. You've got to consider it. Nobody else, you've got to consider it. And when you go through that then, how do we, you, you've got to trust God for the circumstance. God, why did you allow this in my life? Because I have a greater purpose for it that you don't understand. But that's not fair. What's fair? What I'm trying to do has an eternal purpose, not just a momentary experience. That's difficult. We have no idea what God is going to do to use our circumstances to help somebody else. But I know, for example, you've heard me say multiple times, my experience with my father challenged my siblings and I. It was hard. But how did that help to prepare me 
for talking to students at Liberty who are going through the same thing. That students will come up to me with tears in their face going, I don't want to go home for Christmas because I'm going to that. And they're, they're scared. They're afraid. I can relate to that. I walked on eggshells for years. Some experienced that. Some don't have a clue to that. But I did. So what do you do? You've got to turn it into something good. You've got to turn it into something good. If you don't, it'll eat you up and kill you. I know. I've watched some of my siblings and what it's done to them. It will destroy you if you're not careful. Christians should learn from this to live life from a spiritual, not one's social or cultural position, and it's 12. Are you kidding me? Okay. Well, I, I want to be cautious of your time so that you can socially distance as you leave and those kinds of things. So we'll just finish here today, and I'll pick this up next week. Um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray a shield of protection around each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts regarding this lesson. None of us in here knows what a day may bring forth. God, you've called us to be faithful through it all. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to teach us this lesson this week. May we keep things in an eternal perspective. Lord, let us not use circumstances in life to be an excuse to sin. God, may we use it as a catalyst for our own endurance and perseverance in the faith. God, I pray that you would put a shield of protection around us, keep us safe from COVID and all those things. God, help us to be wise in what we do. And may we bring you glory and honor through it all. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Great to have you here.